Uh, but we're in the book of Colossians. Now, I said this, but um, man, we flew through this book, am I right? We just like, you know, chapter a week, basically. Um, not really. But we are going to look at a lot more verses today. And uh, this is cl- the close to Colossians. Um, someone said to me, I don't remember who, but someone's like, y'all want to take the Colossians verse out there and like wrap my car in that. And I'm like, that'd be kind of cool. You can take that little banner down. It's been cool every week to just see that and um, just walk in the hallway and you see this whole book of the Bible and you see what just kind of um, impacted maybe individuals or us collectively. And the whole idea of Colossians in many ways is to course correct some really bad doctrine and some really bad heresy in the church called the Gnostic heresy. That's primarily Paul's response to writing that book. He's basically calling out a couple of different groups, people who are almost combining Christianity with like the Gnostic belief system. And he's also calling out people who are essentially being religious in nature, or maybe, you know, we call them in the New Testament, like the Judaizers, those who say believe in Jesus and keep the law completely. And not seeing that as Paul talks about the mystery of Christ, uh, that I love, he's like this hope that is in us, the gospel's for the Gentile. It's not about become a Jew, it's about God is doing something new and creating the church. And so the point I'm bringing up is the whole idea of why we we are even going through this book is just saying, maybe we need some course correction. Uh, Maybe Jesus hasn't been at the center. That's like the primary point, that Jesus is preeminent over everything. Um, keep him as the focus. It's very easy for myself, and I, just, I know it's easy just to kind of get sidetracked. Um, I think we have to fight individually and collectively to say, no, these secondary issues we're not going to get lost in. We are going to be a community based off the person of Jesus. This is his church. We are his bride. He builds the church. He said, I will build my church. This is his. Um, we want to, of course, correct I just, I just think there's opportunity for us whenever we go through the book of the Bible to like not just read it and kind of go, cool, learn some new things from it today, or that's in, interesting information for that time period, but more of like, Holy Spirit, what do you have for us? And I think the whole idea of Colossians in our heart of really walking through this um, is really what Paul said in Colossians 3, but letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, just saying, Jesus, we want your word to be the thing, that, that North Star, the thing that kind of navigates and directs our steps and our paths. And so um, this has been, for me, refreshing just to walk through and just seeing the high value of Jesus. And it's not just, okay, you believed in Jesus, you believed the gospel years ago, now you graduate and move on to deeper doctrines. You never graduate from the person of Jesus. You never move on from that. I love how one author says, um, the gospel of Jesus is not the diving board, it's the whole pool, (laughs) you know? It's not just the starting point, you swim around and enjoy it and be immersed in it and who he is and what he's done. And so I'm, I'm sure all this because we are coming to a close in this book and Paul just lays out a brilliant argument for this is who Jesus is, this is, his, is who you are, this is how you live your life and care yourself amongst non-believers. If you're with us last week, we spent a lot of time on the tongue, talking to God, talking to others. And then like Paul does in basically every epistle, this is like the conclusion, the summary, the let me just kind of you know, give some shout outs to people in that city or in that church. Let me just remind you of a couple basic things. And it's kind of like a, a mixture of like, I don't know, prophetic words maybe, where it's like, oh, that's a cool thing. Like, we'll see a couple of those. But it's also more of like the closing statements, like, yo, tell so-and-so what's up. Um, so here's why I'm bringing this up. This is one of those sections where it's not the easiest text, like, to walk through or teach through. Um, it's one of those things where, like, I, as I was preparing the message this week, I'm like, there's, like, I don't know, a few different ways you could try to take this. Here's what Paul does, and I want to do this. Paul is basically acknowledging everyone who assisted him in the work of the gospel. Paul is basically saying, hey, this person, you're going to see them face-to-face, encourage them. They're going to encourage you. This person was a blessing to me. They've been with me this whole time. The point that Paul is basically doing is saying, I can't do this alone, and we need other people to be about Jesus' work in life and ministry. And I love this because um, we might read some of these names. I, I do this too. It's very easy to read these portions of the Bible and kind of fast forward or not even like pronounce the names right, which I, I'm guilty of. You just kind of read through it quickly and you move to, you're like, okay, I read the book. But these are significant people that radically change the world as we know it today. And I think it's important for us to see Paul's relationship with them, what he values about them, what he celebrates about them, how he honors them, and the title today simply for us is, and I think it's based off Paul's in the text, is The Need for Jesus People. The Need for Jesus People. Um, you guys know this. We have a need for Jesus people. For people who are saying, we're, we're going to be focused on Jesus. We could be sidetracked with, how do we do this as a church? How do we carry out this specific element? Or we could be filled with a church that says, we're just about Jesus and his mission and his work. 
and we're not going to get lost and sidetracked. Man, there's, do you think, I think, I think there's a need for Jesus pe- people today in 2023, almost 24, right? There's a need for Jesus people. There's a need for people to say, you know what, we're going to be about him, who he is, his work, his life. And so as we read through this, this is kind of also my take as well. Um, Paul is basically saying, these have been friends to me. These have been people who've assisted in the gospel. And it's really interesting. We kind of get insights into some of his friendships. He's like, this person's a brother. This person's never left my side. This person has suffered with me. And it's almost like Paul has these different relationships with different people. And I realized, you know, there comes a point in time in our life where, like, I need someone who's like a brother. I need someone who can suffer with me. I need someone who can trust and send the word out to. And your Paul's going to basically go through these different, like, friends and what element of the gospel, like, a relationship they had with one another. So um, I love this because this is basically saying, hey, don't ever assume. I, I'm really guilty of this as well. You look at, like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You look at, like, some of the big names. Peter, Paul. And don't realize, man, they have a squad around them. They have some people around them who are really helping them um, just advance the gospel. And maybe we don't, you know, give them enough credit, or maybe we don't really see the value of what they did, but I hope today we will. Is that cool? Yeah? So um, what we're going to do is, I'm not going to read it now, just because I don't want to lose you, Um, but we're going to read it. We're going to pray and then read through it. Is that cool? So why don't we just pray? And uh, my hope, again, is just more of um, Jesus creating this room, creating this place, Jesus people. Just people who said, I'm all in. I'm all in for Jesus. And whatever that might look like. So let's just pray and just kind of invite the Lord to just do that in our lives. Father, um, we just want to thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I I just want to thank you for all the men and women who've, throughout the centuries, preached the gospel, discipled people, and it's led to us being followers of you today. Just the countless names of people I've never heard of, never met, and yet I benefit from their work in the gospel. (laughs) Lord, I just want to say thank you for that. God, I just ask for everyone in this room, whether they follow you or not, Jesus, we just see how you radically change the world through men and women who are devoted to you, that Jesus, we saw how Paul's writings changed the West and East as we know it, just changed culture as we know it. Um, Lord, I ask that you would just do something deep within us, that we would be planting seeds today that other people will benefit from in the future that we don't even know of. Lord, just give us a bigger vision of the church, of just relationships, of reconciliation. God, I just ask that today um, with us in this room, that you would restore relationships today, that you would just bring brothers and sisters into our lives and that we would be that as well. That, Lord, um, everything you intend when it comes to just a healthy relationship with the church and with each other, let that be a part of just the exchange and just your church in general. So, Jesus, we just want to thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. You know, it is sweet. Um, in, in our neighborhood, there's like these four or five townhomes. I posted it to my story a couple times. Maybe you've seen it. But I, <laughs> I, there's a few neighborhoods or a few homes that basically have these amazing Christmas lights. They have like a TV through the window playing a movie and, you know, 3D projection on their house. And I don't know. They just kind of go, go all out when it comes to just the Christmas lights. So our kids love going to it. We've gone to it several times. We ride our bikes there. We walk there. You know, it doesn't change, but they just want to see it every night. And uh, it's fun because we went there on Friday night, brought my kids there, and I don't even know, like, looked away for a second. Like, we get there, we look at the houses, look away, and I look back at my daughter, and she's already, you know, she meets this little girl, and she's already holding her hand, just walking around the houses. And I see the dad, and we just, like, look at each other, we laugh, because it's, like, literally, like, less than five seconds, my daughter meets someone her age, and they're merely holding hands and skipping. And I'm like, how did, do they they know each other? He's like, no. Like, you know, um, (laughs) and I love seeing that because I just love, I love the friendliness. You know, as a little kid, you can just do that. So it's so easy. Can we be my friend? Like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Grab hands, skip. You can't do that here at the exchange. That weird everyone out, right? Um, Try it. You can try it. It'd be fun. But I I love like the simplicity of just a child of just like, let's be friends. And there's this, you know, commonality somehow right away between them. And you think about the idea of like, how are friendships or relationships built and what are they built on? Um, Aristotle actually wrote a lot about friendship, and he, he talked about it in different ways, and I thought it was interesting, right? Because he talks about sometimes friendships are based off usefulness. And if you've been a part of that friendship, it's not the best, but it's almost like, all right, you scratch my back, I scratch your back, you help me in this way. But he basically goes through all these different ways that people are friends, and he summarizes and says, you know, friendship through virtue, or that you have shared vision, shared morals, shared values. And I do think he's picking up on something 
when it comes to just the gospel of Jesus, when it comes to uh, what is our relationships, what are they built on? Hopefully, the one common denominator, obviously, if you're like, these people have nothing in common. The common denominator we have is Jesus is the most important person in my life. He's the most important person in your life. We have the most important thing in common. It's built off that. We actually want to be builders and partakers of the kingdom of God. We want to participate in this work together. It's so cool because that just crosses different age barriers, racial barriers, social barriers of any sort. Because you're saying, we have the most, most important thing to me is the most important thing to you. And Paul just found a way of working with Jews, with Gentiles. And in this list, you're going to see a variety of people. I mean, a variety of people that Paul's like, we have the most important thing in common, and that is what matters. And I, I love this because, again, you always, we know of the greats, but we don't know of, like, the people around them a lot of times. And I don't even know, like, what examples. I could probably give different examples. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I watched a documentary recently on Barry Sanders. You know, such a good documentary, by the way. I don't, like, who's Barry Sanders? Running back for the Detroit Lions years ago. Anyways, you know, he was, like, the man. I'm like, watch this little guy just avoid everyone. I don't know who blocked for him. You know, like, I couldn't name, like, anyone on the offensive line. Like, I don't know anything. All I know is, like, certain names, or this is probably a terrible analogy, falling short. I have no idea. But like a Tom Brady type, you're like, okay, here's, like, the best of the best, but name three of his offensive line over the years. Maybe you can because you're a weirdo. I don't know. But, but the point is, the point is, we know of these, like, names and who they are and their success around them, but we don't really know the people that got them there or the people they give credit to, like, yo, yo, I got to give credit to this person. Because I would not be who I am or where I'm at or the gospel not happening if it wasn't for this person. The point of this, Paul does this all the time. You read Romans, Romans 16, he's just calling out person after person. Ephesians, here in Colossians, it's like, this is not the Paul show. God has been building and doing and working, and there's so many nobodies we don't know, but God has used them. I love what Chuck Swindoll said, uh, one author, he says, in the body, or sorry, I'll start with the first one. He says, without the nobodies of this world, there would be no somebodies. <laughs> without the nobodies of this world, there'd be no somebodies. But then he goes on to say, just to clarify, like, that's really depressing. He goes on to say, in the body of Christ, there are no nobodies. And I love that. There are so many people we'll look back on and be like, I don't, I know Billy Graham, but I don't, I don't know the people that surrounded him necessarily. I remember going to the Billy Graham Library years ago. It's really cool, actually. If you get a chance, go there. Besides the talking cow in the beginning, Betsy the cow, that's weird. Besides that, it gets really good. But go to the Billy Graham Library. They have a room dedicated, I can't remember what it's called, but they have a room dedicated to all the men and women who basically helped him do what he did. And it's like, I'm not going to have a Billy Graham Library without a room dedicated. Like, there's no Billy Graham without these people. The point of it being, there are so many people we benefit from. The work they put in decades, centuries ago. We don't know them. But because they've invested in, you know, a Martin Luther type or a John Calvin type or whoever, and we read their writings, we benefit from them. But there's so many people we don't know that radically change the world you and I live in. And the point of me, again, bringing this up today is just saying, I think it's worth, I think it's worth us slowing down, looking at these names, and looking at how we benefit from the relationship they had with Paul, from how they invested in the kingdom, even though it might not be the most exciting, and we're like, we're really reading through each name. Yeah, we're going to do that. But I think it's powerful. I love what Ecclesiastes 4 says. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe to him has no one. Paul, again, was not this one-man show. He was constantly either with people like-minded, like brothers, or disciples. He was constantly with people he was, that could help build him up or he could help build others up. And so I just want to look at this list because he's given them these shout-outs and we're going to walk through. You guys ready? I just want to, you guys ready for the names that are like the nobody list names? But you know some of them, but they're, they're really good. All right, let's look at verse seven. First friend, all right? And so they all begin with the friend who? The friend who is a brother. The friend who is a brother. Uh, his name is Tychicus. Everyone say Tychicus. Such a good name. By the way, we're going to come across so many good baby names for your future kids. Um, Tychicus. Let's read verse 7. It says, Tychicus, so he's ending, remember, talking about the tongue. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. As I mentioned, there's 10 names, so forgive me if I go through these quickly. Is there 10 points today? I don't know, kind of, but uh, don't judge by 10 points. Here's the idea. Tychicus is a guy we see a few different times in scriptures, one primarily in Acts 20. 
if you guys remember, we'll, we'll revisit the story again in a couple different ways because there's a few names mentioned in Acts 20, but basically Paul's in Ephesus. There's a great revival that happens. People are getting saved left and right. It's amazing. They're actually taking their books that were basically witchcraft and sorcery books. They're burning them. They're like, we don't want to live for that. We don't live for Jesus. In Acts 20, the people are frustrated and furious. Paul has to get out of there. And so he flees, and one of the guys with him is Tychicus. Now, Tychicus actually has quite a bit said about him in verse 7 and 8. He's faithful. He's a beloved brother, fellow minister and servant in the Lord. This was, it seems to be a brother to Paul. A couple other examples. I believe he's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Uh, a couple other examples, just so you kind of get a bigger picture of Tychicus. He's in Ephesians 6.21. Paul also used him in a very similar way. Ephesians 6.21, we'll put it up here. He says, so that you also may know how I am and how I'm doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. So Tychicus, Paul sends out to the Ephesians, to Ephesus, Ephesus being just, you know, in modern day Turkey. He sent him to the Colossians, same thing. We see him in, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy 4 being sent out as well, and Titus being sent out as well. The reason why I'm bringing this up is um, Paul obviously trusted this guy. He sent him with the New Testament letters that we hold as doctrine. He sent him with these letters saying, bring this to the Ephesians, bring this to the Colossians, bring this to Philemon, bring this to these different men and women in the churches. Let the word go. Whatever Tychicus says, he's going to tell you a good uh, report of how we're doing. Trust him. Trust his word. He's a brother. He's faithful. If you think about that, I love this too. When Paul's in jail, he actually talks about that as well. Basically, I'm sending Tychicus to you. I don't know. Tychicus was trusted. Tychicus was trusted with the word of God. I think the bet, like what you and I have in front of us today, in many ways, you'd be like, yo, thank you, Tychicus. <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you think about that. I mean, he was trusted literally with the words of God written through Paul to the church. We read these letters that Tychicus gave to these different churches. There's a high trust there. Basically, Paul's like, he's faithful. I can count on him. Very thankful for faithful men and women that you can count on. I will say this. It's one of those things where I know we all want, um, it'd be so nice, right? Like, I just wish I had a faithful friend. You know, who can find a faithful friend? That's a, there's a beautiful thing when you find someone who's faithful. In reality, I hope more than just wanting to find someone like that, I hope we can be that for someone. I think we always pray for that. But like, can we maybe be an answer to that prayer for someone else? Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can have a lot of friends, but a lot of friends who never say or do the hard thing, who never challenge, who never encourage, who never used to trust. He's like, yo, take a kiss. I trust this guy. I give him my words to these churches. He's gonna give a report to the Ephesians, to us. You know, I am very thankful for that. Not in a weird way, because I give him a hard time. You know, over the last six plus years, you know, Silver has been a blessing to me. Many of you know Silver. His first face many of you met and you walked in. It was one of those things where yesterday, you know, we were having just something with our family. Um, one of those moments where I'm like, man, my son could use some other man encouragement in his life. Silver, can you come over and just love on my son? I'm there. Dude, that is such a crazy blessing. That's one of those things where I'm like, can I pay for your gas money? Can you take him out? He's like, we're not going to take your money. Are you kidding me? I'm like, I know, but just for gas money. I don't know. Just the thought of like, wow, Lord, thank you. Just for those people that just show up. What, you, what do you need? I'm, I'm trusting you. Take a kiss. Take the word. Go, deliver it, bring it out. So beautiful. Even though Silver broke my basketball hoop with the truck, I still love him. Um, but I'm, I'm just bringing this up to say it's very f it's fascinating. When you can find something like that, it's amazing. But why don't we be that? Who can find a faithful companion? The point of bringing this up is, I love this, take a kiss. We don't know much about him, right? He mentioned a few different times, but Paul constantly sent him. Go, go, man, here's the word. Listen, the friend who is a brother. I would love to see the church function this way. Take a kiss, gets a big shout out. Faithful, servant. You can trust him. Next guy on the list, the friend who is radically changed. We'll keep going. And the reason why I want to bring it up this way is you might realize you are this person or you need this person or you're praying for this person, but um, we need the next guy. The next guy's name is Onesimus. Everyone say Onesimus. Onesimus, the friend who is radically changed. Verse 9. With him, with Take a kiss, is Onesimus. Verse 9. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. He's one of you. Colossae. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Um, there's a lot actually about Onesimus. I've been tempted to just like read the whole book of Philemon. Uh, if you go to the book of Philemon, like not far, uh, if you go to the book of Philemon, you will see this Onesimus. Onesimus seems to be a runaway slave 
from Philemon. The irony is, and you can read more about this, and I've been tempted, like I said, just like do a whole, I want to just go through Philemon next with you. But uh, Philemon was, um, you would maybe, you know, people will say he's a slave owner. Uh, here's the idea. Onesimus was an indentured servant to Philemon. The idea is they most likely entered into some sort of relationship where it's like, hey, I need this kind of money. I need it now. I'll work for you for seven years, let's say, in order to pay this off. So for seven years, I'm yours. I'm on a contract with you in a sense for a, an undetermined amount of time to, make, to get some money from you. So imagine you're, you're Philemon. Okay, I'm going to give you this money or I'm going to do this thing for you. You owe me five years of service, 10 years. That is more the working relationship. We call them slaves, and I think Pastor Nate did a great job a couple weeks back talking about this. But in many ways, a Rome indentured servant could own land, could buy and sell. They had rights that most common Roman citizens had. But the idea was they just were in debt to someone. And so you have Onesimus who's in debt to Philemon. Uh, When you read the book of Philemon, one chapter, uh, Onesimus flees. He runs away. He's not a Christian at this point in time. He flees Philemon. He most likely stole from Philemon on the the way out. It's almost like this Les Miserables story. I don't know. But he steals from Philemon. He takes some stuff with him. He runs into Paul in Rome. Um, Sorry, Onesimus runs into Paul in Rome, and he gets saved. Now, the crazy thing is Paul led Philemon to the Lord, and Paul leads Onesimus, his runaway slave, to the Lord. Now, the irony is hilarious to me. He like gets away, like, I got to get away from Philemon. So Nismus goes to Rome, meets Paul, gets saved, gets converted. I'm a follower of Jesus now, but he has debt he owes to Philemon. Paul finds out, and he goes, yo, you're running from that guy? I know that guy. Such a cool <laughs> story dynamic. And basically, Paul's in this place where he's like, you now as a follower of Jesus have to right your wrongs. You owe, you owe this man money. You didn't pay your, your full service over to him. You need to go back. However, at the same time, Paul's like, I also want to encourage and challenge Philemon. I want to encourage him just to like, Jesus paid for our debt. Let him write off and pay for his debt. And so in Philemon, there's no chapter. So just in the verses, I'll put the verse up here. Philemon, verse 17, this is what Paul writes to Philemon about Onesimus. He says, so if you consider me your partner, Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of, you, of your uh, owing me, even your own self. Paul's basically being like, yo, I, I you know, led you to Jesus. You have eternal life because of me. You owe me, all right? But he's like, put this on my account. The debt he owes you, Philemon, charge it to me. Put that on my account. Forgive this guy. Wipe his debt clear. The book of Philemon is one of the best little books of the gospel. Basically saying we had a debt we could not pay. We owed a debt we could not pay. But Jesus paid that debt. And he's like, put that on my account. Forgive him. Receive him. Onesimus, go back to him. That's what you got to do. That's the right thing. But Philemon, you you must receive him as you would receive me. Come on, man. I love this. Martin Luther said about that. He says, we are all God's Onesimuses. (laughs) We're all God's onismuses. There's a debt we could never have paid. We ran away. And God's like, but I don't worry, I paid your debt. Put that on my account. So the reason why I bring this up is I love that Paul's crew, by the way. You have Tychicus, you have Onesimus, the friend who's radically changed. The friend, there's a New Testament Bible written about Onesimus and Philemon. And this is Paul's crew so far. I will say that maybe in some ways, maybe you go, I owe this person an apology. I need to go back to them. I owe them a debt. I haven't forgiven them. Maybe you're on the Philemon side. I need to forgive them and wipe it clean or on the Onesimus side. But this is just Paul's crew, man. Tychicus, Onesimus, number three, Aristarchus, great names again. Aristarchus, let's look at verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Verse 10, that's all we got. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now, by the way, Aristarchus is also mentioned several times in the New Testament. Uh, It's Acts 19. I talked about that, you know, Ephesian revival that was happening, Acts 19. It says, so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So uh, people are getting saved, but if you remember, people are frustrated by that. They don't want to lose their business, essentially, to their false gods, and so they want to drag Paul, they want to drag Gaius and Aristarchus. Um, The reason, this is hilarious to me. He's like, Paul, guess what? Paul's like, I'm also um, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, he greets you. 
The guy who suffers with me greets you. We also see him in Acts 27. If you guys remember, Paul was appealed to Caesar, and he's going to Rome, and his, his uh, boat is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. If you guys didn't know, that in that story, Aristarchus is with him. It's Acts 27, verse 2. It says, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The reason why I'm saying this is this. Um, you see Aristarchus being dragged out, most likely, obviously, beaten during that time. You see him in Acts 20, continuing to travel with Paul for about the next three years. You see him in Acts 27, going with Paul to appeal to Caesar, and they're shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So Paul goes to the shipwreck. Aristarchus is with him. It's believed the only reason why Aristarchus could go with Paul to appeal to Caesar. Many authors and commentators believe that Aristarchus actually made himself an indentured servant to Paul. Like, we can't confirm that, but the idea is the only way this guy could uh, plea or travel with Paul to Rome is that he actually says, no, 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 I'm his slave. I have to go with him wherever he goes. So the idea is he most likely just suffered with Paul wherever he went. He's like my fellow prisoner, the guy who was beaten and dragged in Ephesus, the guy who was shipwrecked with me. This is why, number three, the friend who suffers with you. Aristarchus is interesting, man. Paul, if you're going, I'm going to go with you. You're suffering, I'm going to suffer with you. You're, you're shipwrecked, I'm shipwrecked with you. There's something about having a friend who's like, I'm, I'm with you through thick and thin. You're suffering right now, I'm not, I'm not leaving. leaving. You know, I think a lot of times it's in the suffering, it's in the pain, it's in the, hey, I could use some help right now in life, this is hard. There's something beautiful about a friend who's like, hey, I'm there. I'm not just there for your highs, I'm not just there for the good times, I'm there for the dark times. That seems to be Aristarchus, the guy who's beaten, the guy who's shipwrecked, the guy who's my fellow prisoner. I love what uh, one author says. He says, the fact that Aristarchus was still with Paul in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Colossians demonstrates the tenacious loyalty he had toward Paul and toward their mutual leader, Jesus Christ. The trials and hardships they experienced together served to strengthen their bond. There is nothing like the fellowship of suffering. When you read in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this, that I may know Jesus, the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of suffering. I love that thought of like, I want to know Jesus' power, but no one really likes that second part. I want to know Jesus and the suffering. But you think about that, that's usually when the most like intimacy with Jesus is built is in the suffering. It's usually when you think about your friends, like when you're going through it and the friends are like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to belittle you, put you down. You're suffering, you're, you're going through it. I'm here. What do you need? This is Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you. Aristarchus is like, what's up? In chains. I love, I don't know, whatever that was like. I'm with you, Paul. He's the friend who suffered with him. This is amazing. I love how 1 Corinthians 12 says, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Aristarchus took that to heart. You're suffering, I'm suffering with you. Again, we all want this, but are we this? We all want that person who's with us through thick and thin, but are we that person? It's just the reality of Paul's like, hey, I, these people who are with me, you know, there's, some, there's some like awesome men, and we're gonna read about one woman on this list, but I love this idea of like this amazing friend group. This friend group that's like, I'm with you. I'm going to suffer with you. I'm your brother. I've been radically changed. I'm passionate about the gospel. We'll keep going, uh, but the next one you've heard of, it's more familiar. Are you guys with me so far? You know, this is, again, this is the closing statement. This is a little bit hard. All right, number four is this, uh, Mark, the friend who is trusted again, Mark. This is, this is a cool story. Uh, look at verse 10. He says, and Mark, uh, and, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. How many of you guys know Mark in the Bible? Did you know that Mark wrote a book in the Bible? You guys know that, right? So Mark, Matthew Mark. This is that Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, the cool thing about Mark, a couple things. Uh, you have Barnabas, Paul, Mark, and Silas traveling together, working together. If you guys know, remember this in the book of Acts, there came a point in time Mark departed from Paul and Barnabas, and Paul didn't like Mark. Um, Paul is frustrated at Mark. They actually get into a little fight, Paul and Barnabas, over John Mark, over this guy here. It's Acts 15, verse uh, 39. We'll put the verses up. It says, there arose a sharp disagreement. I like that. That's what you say about like, when you're going to fight with your spouse. You're like, we just had a sharp disagreement. You know? <laughs> a, there arose a sharp disagreement, it says, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark, that's his cousin, with him, and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. You know, they picked teams, and Mark wasn't chosen. <laughs> Paul's like, Silas, you're with me. Barnabas, he takes his cousin Mark. Now, you, you understand, like, this was um, a contentious thing. This is sad because Barnabas was the encourager. Barnabas really encouraged Paul in his ministry. Paul and Barnabas were close, man. And it's, it really is so sad. Paul and Barnabas were like, we're cutting ways because of this guy, John Mark, because of Mark. Paul's like, I just don't trust him. In Acts 13, he left us. We needed his help, but he fled. Paul might be looking at Mark as immature. 
Paul might be looking at Mark as just weak, as a coward. But whatever reason, Paul's like, I don't want Mark with us. We have hard work to do. And we can't have someone who's just going to flail or be flimsy. And we, we need to have someone we can trust. Barnabas, the encourager, is going, come on, man. Like, I encourage you. When no, when no one wanted to receive Saul, who's now Paul, I was the guy that like, spoke on your behalf. I'm speaking up on his behalf. Paul's like, I don't want to do that. Here's what I love about this. Paul's like, hey, welcome Mark. Receive Mark. Actually, uh, we're told that they later say this. Um, he says, receive Mark. In different, in different passages of Scripture. The point is, he loved Mark, reconciled with Mark, and they eventually worked together again, where now they're on mission, and he's like, receive, hey, Colossae, receive this guy, Mark, the guy that couldn't stand, I want you to receive him now. God used Mark in a powerful way, even though at a point in his time, in his faith, he kind of gave up. He, God was not done with him. Thankfully, there's a Barnabas who believed in him. Thankfully, Paul saw that change, and they reconciled. Another thing to kind of bring up with this is in 1 Peter 4, uh, Paul, or Peter says, get, um, get Mark and bring him with you for he's very useful to me for ministry. Sorry, that's First Timothy 4. Paul says, get Mark, he's useful for, for me in ministry. I love that. Mark's useful. He wasn't at one point in time, but now he's saying he's useful to me. Peter says this about Mark. Peter says, so does Mark, my son. Peter, in one of his epistles, is saying goodbye, and he's like, hey, my, my son, Mark, in the faith greets you. By the way, Mark's um, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John, Mark was most likely, his gospel's perspective was through Peter's lens. So Mark is writing down the gospel of essentially Peter. So Mark had a close relationship with Peter, Mark, my son. It's believed that Mark's vantage point of the gospel, Mark is through Peter's vantage point, which is fascinating if you read Mark through kind of Peter's vantage point. But Mark was close to Peter. He wrote a gospel. Paul says he's useful for to me to ministry. This was a guy they once broke ties over. I can't use, God can't use Mark. We're done. So point, a sharp disagreement. They go separate ways. And I love, I love that there was reconciliation. By the way, think about this. Have you ever maybe, I don't know, you judged someone too soon, or you judged a book by its cover, or you said, ah, I remember this one issue in their life, and they did that, and you kind of dismissed them. It seems like that was happening with Mark. Just a young guy, made a mistake, Paul wants to move on, but eventually Mark and Paul reconcile, and Paul's like, he's useful. Welcome him. Receive him. I really do believe there are probably people, especially during the season of life, of just the holidays of December, there's probably some people you need to reconcile with. There's probably some people you need to reach out to and say, hey, you know what? Remember when I did this? I was very immature, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I did that. Maybe you're more in that Mark state. I'm just like, I abandoned you. I left you in a time of need. I'm sorry. Maybe you're more in the Paul state and going, you know what, Lord? God, you've been so good and so gracious to me. How can I not show grace to this person? God, you forgive me of so much. How can I not forgive someone? The cool thing is, think about this. When, when you break trust with someone or someone breaks trust with you, it's really hard to reestablish trust. It is. If someone really does break your trust, Paul's trust towards Mark was like gone. I mean, him and Barnabas were like not friends. They, they went different ways. And you think about Paul going, Mark's useful to the ministry. He's useful to me. Receive him. Welcome him. The point is somehow trust was reestablished. I know it's easy to say, oh, you know, they hurt my trust. I'll never trust them again. Can I tell you, part of reconciliation even might be that. I'm not, I don't know to what extent maybe you broke fellowship or ties or relationship with someone, but maybe the Lord's like, you know what? You actually need to go back to them and you need to own what you can own. Maybe you'll work with them again in ministry one day. Maybe you won't. But at least you owe them the right to say, hey, I was being a Mark here. I was being a Paul here. I wasn't showing you grace. And I think that for some of us, I wouldn't doubt, especially right now, it's like there might be some conversations you need to have. And maybe, just maybe, there'll be some beautiful more ministry moments in the future, but there just needs to be reconciliation first. And I'm so thankful Mark and Paul were back together again. I'm so thankful Mark didn't write the gospel and Paul's like, nah, Mark's okay. I don't know. Like, I'm thankful that like, there was trust again, that he was used again, the relationship was established again. Again, this is a friend who is trusted again. I'm so thankful for Mark and Paul and how they worked it out. Isn't that cool? Maybe Acts 15. I'm like, ooh, Paul does not like Mark. And they're back together. The friend who is trusted again. Number five, the friend who builds the kingdom. Justice. We'll make this quick. We don't know a lot about justice. It's okay. Verse 11. Uh, and Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. All right. Um, by the way, Justice, verse 11, that's what we just read. We really don't know a lot about him. He's not the same justice we read about in Acts 1 or uh, most likely later in, in Acts 13. He's not the same guy. However, um, this justice is kind of funny to me. I, I just love the shout out. Jesus, who we call justice. It's almost like, yeah, the Jesus name didn't, you know, it just didn't work for us. You know, there's only one Jesus. Hey, Ju Jesus, can you change your name to justice? All right, thank you. So they changed this guy's name to justice. 
Uh, we know that he's part of the circumcision. He's Jewish. The only real phrase is like, he was a comfort to me. Why? Because he helped build the kingdom. The phrase that he uses was a fellow worker for the kingdom of God, the friend who builds the kingdom. Um, I love that because we don't really need much more than that. Hey, why is this person? Why are you guys so close? I don't know. We both build the kingdom of God together. Awesome. Cool. Do you have anything in common? We, no. We just build the kingdom of God together. That's Justice and Paul. He's a comfort to me, man. Part of the circumcision. We'll keep going. Number six is this. The friend who does it all. The friend who does it all. We all know these people. The Epaphras. Epaphras, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you? Listen to Epaphras. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and and in Eropolis. All right, I love this. Epaphras. You're like, who's this guy? Remember the very beginning of the series, Epaphras was the guy who was the church planter. Epaphras was the guy who went to Colossae. He's from there. He's one of you. He goes back to his hometown. He shares the gospel. People get saved. Epaphras is the guy who goes to Paul, and he's like, please, Paul, I need you to write a letter to my people. They're going through it. Paul and him spent time together. He goes, man, this guy's laboring in prayer for their maturity, for the will of God. If you remember in Colossians 1, Paul's prayer for the Colossians was this prayer, meaning Paul adopted his prayer from Epaphras' prayer. Paul says, I'm praying that you'll be fully mature and walk in the will of God. So Paul's prayer for the Colossians is literally like copy and paste soul, and it seems, from Epaphras. He's like, I've watched Epaphras labor, struggle. This word is like, it's a very intense word. It's almost like go to war for you in prayer. I've watched this guy struggle in prayer for you. He went to war for you in prayer. So he's the guy that planted the church, is praying for the church, is going back to this church, to Laodicea at Neropolis. He's a guy like trying to really do things and get things done. And Epaphras is, man, I love it because he seems to be just a regular guy who God radically used. He seems to be a guy that just has like a normal job, and he's like, I want to see God do something here in my city. I love that. He's not the apostle Epaphras. He's just one of you. I love that phrase, hey, Epaphras, one of you. No, that's cool about the thought. It's not just, okay, the ministry people out there will do something big for God. One of you. The one among you. Meaning, I just love that God can use and God wants to use. It's not, God just uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's not always the high, the mighty, the one with the title. Hey, one of you. He's one of you. This guy is praying for you. He's the prayer guy. He's the planting guy. He's the encouragement guy. He's coming to you to encourage you. This is the guy that does it all. And we need those like utility players that can just do it all. I'm in. I'm in. I'm a regular guy. I'm one of you. I'm from among you. And yet God is using this guy to build the church here in Laodicea, Eropolis, Epaphras, man. Epaphras is a special guy. I appreciate the guy. A church planning guy. Very unique. We'll move on. So that was the friend who does it all. Number seven, the friend who is always there. The friend who is always there. Luke. You guys know Luke. Tell me you've heard Luke, right? Raise your hand, Luke. Okay. Luke. Verse 14, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. This is where we do learn that Luke was a physician. This is where we learn that Luke was a doctor. Uh, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. We see Luke with Paul in a lot of his journeys. Acts 20, 21, you see Luke joined Paul and was there. He met some of these guys, was with these guys. Paul says this, actually, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, uh, verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. Paul writes that. This is his last letter. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. In one of his last letters before he died, Luke most likely saw Paul die. Luke was most likely a witness to Paul's death and documented that for us. Um, actually, this is a fun fact. Luke wrote more in quantity than any other person in the New Testament. Root wrote the gospel of, you guys are theologians, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. So he wrote Luke, he wrote Acts. So when it comes to amount, as far as amount of literature that you and I have in the New Testament, he wrote more than Paul. Luke wrote a lot of just scripture. Luke's, Paul says again, Luke alone is with me. Luke witnessed these things firsthand. That's why he could write Acts. The point though, again, is we need a Luke. Isn't it cool to see he's a doctor? So he cares about detail. He's well studied. He's into like his profession, but the idea is that transferable over. He cares about the details. He cares about the nuances. He tells us about the drama that happens in Acts because he knows that matters. But the point is, like, I'm very thankful for someone who's highly educated, high, highly intellectual, and yet using their gifts for the kingdom of God. Dr. Luke wrote Acts. Dr. Luke wrote one of the Gospels. Doc, I mean, this guy, Luke, was like all in with Paul always. 
my point of bringing even up that up is like, man, I don't know what your profession is, but I lo- it's way more transferable to the kingdom than you might recognize. Dr. Luke, who's not a journalist, but he's writing like a journalist. Dr. Luke, who's like, I'm a doctor, but at the same time, like, I'm going to give myself over to this craft. Again, my point being, we need some Lukes, man. Your gifts are way more transferable than you realize for, for, realize than for the kingdom of God. Plus, we need some people, man. Like, we need some people who are like Lukes, who are like, I'm with Paul. He's always with me. Luke alone is with me. This is the friend who's always there. We need some Lukes. The friend who's with us towards the end, who documents it, who writes it, who encourages the church. Luke, the friend who's there. Number eight, the friend who hurt you, Demas. We all might know some Demases. I think his name fits well. I don't know. Just don't name your kid Demas. All right. Verse 14. He says, Luke alone is with me, um, and then he says, uh, and, or sorry, Luke the blood of fish and grease you, then he says, as does Demas. That's all we got, as does Demas. Demas is mentioned a couple other times in the New Testament. The other main time is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Again, Paul, his last letter he wrote, he's like, Luke alone is with me, but remember what he says in verse 10 now. Luke, or 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, some of the last words Paul writes, like literally 2 Timothy 4, some of his conclusion points is this guy, Demas, remember the guy who greeted you? Uh, He's mentioned again in Philemon as a guy who's just a fellow worker. That's it. He was, Demas loved the present world, and he forsaked me. He deserted me. In my deepest, darkest moment, in prison, about to be beheaded, Demas left. Luke alone is with me. Um, Demas, man, it's very interesting. Jesus gave us a parable, if you guys remember, of the faithful servant and the evil servant. And he talks about the faithful servant versus the evil servant. One of his points was the faithful servant is looking and waiting and ready for his master's return. The faithful servant is always ready. The evil servant, um, he's not looking or waiting or ready for his master's return. The reason why I bring that up, Jesus uses this really interesting word for evil servant. This word for evil in the Greek, when he talks about the faithful servant is the evil servant. It means that which was once good but has now gone bad. The idea is the evil servant was actually this word, I think it's kakos in Greek. It says that which was once good, he was once good is now bad. It's almost like, okay, a fruit that you left out. The fruit was once ripe and ready to eat and now just gone bad. That's the word kakos. It's like he was once good. This, This evil servant in Jesus' parable was once good but went bad. He once had the right idea. He once was like living for Jesus and all in. He was living, but he, something went wrong. Paul points out what, what, what went wrong. He's like, he just loved the present world. To me, the only way you can explain it is like the parable of the sower. The cares of this world choked him out. It's like he just loved the world more than he loved Jesus. Demas is a friend that um, we don't want to be. He's a good example of, um, I don't want Demases. I don't want to be a Demas. Someone who says, I'm all in is no longer all in. Paul's like, this guy Demas greets you. Later in his last epistle, realized he forsook Paul in the greatest need of his life. The thing about, again, Ademus is um, I would encourage you guys is to strive for consistency and faithfulness. How do we learn from the Demuses? How do we say, I'm going to be faithful today? The people who I talk to is like, I don't know, Josiah, but like, I'm so worried about five years from now where I'll be with Jesus. And it's like, don't worry about five years from now. Like, love Jesus today. Wake up tomorrow and love Jesus that day. Take it one day at a time. Don't have to have this fear that you're a Demus. But we have to be aware. There were once people that were once serving with me, a part of the kingdom, but they have forsaken him. Demas um, is the friend who hurt Paul. Number nine is this, the friend who is hospitable, Nympha. Nympha, there's disagreement about her. You might see some manuscripts that say he. Uh, it's most likely believed, and the right manuscripts seem to be that this is a female, Nympha. He gives Nympha a shout out. Uh, look at verse 15. He says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So by the way, this is cool. The book of Colossians was intended to be read not just in Coloss, but also in Laodicea. This book was, was intended to be read everywhere, not just to that city only. But he also gives a shout out to Nympha, who the church met in her house. Laodicea. Do you guys remember Laodicea was one of the seven churches in Revelation that Jesus specifically spoke to. If you remember, Laodicea was the seventh church, the last church that Jesus spoke to. Jesus said about the Laodiceans, he goes, you think you're rich, but you're poor. The Laodiceans seem to have a lot of money. There's a lot of reasons for that, of where it's located in that part of the world, but they had a lot of money. It's believed that uh, Nympha was like a matron in the faith. Like she had money, she had wealth, she opened up her home. But how cool is that? I love this. You can read about all the gospel matrons uh, that God has used radically. The women around Jesus, the women in Acts 1, here Nympha. She says, hey, you want somewhere to meet? Let me open up my home. Um, There's also a threat to her for doing that in this Roman Empire. Is this a subversive kind of religion? 
religion that wants to overthrow Caesar. These Christians are saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. The point being is Nympha kind of put her neck out there. Her house is public. It was known. Church, come gather. Come use my space. So she's taking a risk, and she's giving what she has to Jesus. She goes down and just being a hospitable woman. Hey, guys, use my, my place to meet and dwell. Listen, um, you guys know this, and I don't need to harp too much on this, but we need hospitable people in the church. We need people who says, here's my home. Here's my stuff. Use it. What's mine is yours. That is a sign that the gospel has grabbed hold of your heart as you say, it's never been mine to begin with. It's always been his. That's Nympha. She's the friend who is hospitable. She's the friend who says, church, you need something? I got you. Come meet in my house. Nympha just goes down as the hospitable woman who opened up her home and who also risked her life by making her place a place where the church could gather. Nympha. The last friend we read about. You guys ready? Come on. So we did 10 points. We did this, right? No? You guys okay? All right. The last friend. The friend who needs encouragement. I love this. Archippus. Archippus. The friend who needs encouragement. If you would, look at verse 17. Paul says, and say to Archippus, I love this. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. It's fascinating to me, actually. It's like basically Paul's ending. He's listing all the people that are with him. And he's like, by the way, when you see this guy Archippus, when you see him, look at him in the face and say, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This guy needed some encouragement. This basically imagine Paul writes this letter to the people in Colossae, like one by one, like, yo, Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry you've received. And like one by one, they're coming up to him like, you need to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He says, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. Archippus, I don't know if he's potentially a pastor, a leader, an elder, maybe just someone who had a unique or strong calling on his life, obviously. Paul's like, we all know about this, this calling on his life. And Paul's like, you need to look him in the eyes and tell him, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I really do believe some of you, if not many of you, need to hear that. See that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Hey, moms <laughs> who are tired, fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. Just followers of Jesus at your workplace, fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I really do believe this is like a prophetic word. Paul has like, hey, I can't forget about Archippus. He really needs some encouragement right now. Um, you guys probably know this, but there are some people here who uniquely need encouragement right now. And please don't be like, yeah, it's me. I know, it's probably you too. But like, please go look for that, okay? I, I know we all need it. We all want that. That's great. But can I tell you, you will be refreshed as you refresh others. And there are some people that just truly need like, hey, I, I just want you to know I've been praying for you. God has a ministry for, free, for you. Fulfill that ministry. This is for Archippus, man. He just needed some encouragement. Paul's a good friend, ultimately. Like, the friend here I didn't mention is Paul. <laughs> He's basically like, I, I see this. I see you guys. I'm thankful for you guys. I want to encourage you guys. I, I show these guys honor. He's lifting up all these people in this honorable mention. Nympha and everyone, like, hey, here's this honorable mention. You need to be aware of these people. Paul's a good friend in this. But Paul's saying, you have a ministry and you need to fulfill it. I love what one author said about this. I'm just going to put it up here. He's like, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means about ministry you've received? This is like, think about this. This is not that profound, but it, it is profound. He's like, here's what this means. God gives ministry to his people. Yes? That's what that means. It means true ministry is received in the Lord. True ministry is received in the Lord. It means ministry may be left unfulfilled. That's what this means. True ministry may be left unfulfilled. It means one must take heed to their ministry in order for it to be fulfilled. You got to take heed to what God has given you. And then he says, um, we should encourage others to fulfill their ministry. Absolutely. This is what this, this simple phrase to Archippus. How cool is that if you're Archippus and you're discouraged? And you're just like, gosh, man, I'm so discouraged for whatever reason. And then someone's like, hey, you need to fulfill the ministry God has for you. Stop settling. What are you doing? Run your race. Get back in the race. For whatever reason, maybe he just got out of the race and God's like, get back in that race. I see you. I see your discouraged heart. How cool is that that God's like, I see you. I see your discouraged heart. Get back in that race. Fulfill the ministry. Walk worthy of the calling. Do that God sees you? Do you know that God cares enough to give a verse to this guy, Archippus, to say, I see you. Get back in that race and, like, fulfill it. That's the kind of God we serve and worship. This is what Paul says to his ten friends, about his ten friends. And lastly, he ends with this. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul's like, just please keep in mind. Keep me in prayer as I'm in chains. I'm writing this. He'd sign his name, Paul. Probably very big. That was the idea because it's bad eyesight. According to tradition, Paul's like, Paul. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. 
this is not that profound, but I just love Paul. Paul almost always does this. He bookends whatever book he writes with. Verse, chapter 1, verse 2, he's like, grace be with you. And he ends with grace be with you. And the bookends of the whole message is grace. He's like, hey, grace and peace, grace. We serve a God who realizes we are broken human beings who are needy and we need grace. We serve a God who's like, I get it. You're, I know you. You need grace. We serve a God who's like, I, I can see. I, I know your needs and you need grace. And Paul's like, grace be with you, grace be with you. That's how he begins, that's how he ends. I'm so thankful we have a God who's like, we're gonna begin with grace and end with grace. That's how basically he ends every epistle. My last thought is this. Um, we, we talked about these 10 friends. I actually do wanna pray uniquely in this way for us because um, I do almost wanna ask like, hey, maybe you're, the, maybe you're the mark who needs to go back and say, hey, would you forgive me for what I did? Maybe you're a ticket kiss and you're just you're that faithful brother. Maybe you need one of those. But I want to like spend some time in prayer. But before we, we do that, actually, I just want to like remind this thought. And I, I love the great hymn that like sings this, but um, we have a friend in Jesus. And I think out of all of these friends that we read about, like, man, I want that friend. I want that friend. I want that friend. They're going to fall short. And we have a friend in Jesus. We have someone who's like, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. What Jesus said to us in, first, or in John 15, Jesus says, you are my friends if, that's scary, right? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is like, you're my friends. Do my word. You do my word, you're my friend. I'm your friend. You have a friend in Jesus. Do what he says. <laughs> he loves you. He's not trying to withhold good from you. He's not trying to make your life difficult. He's trying to bring you more fullness of joy. And I want to say this. We might read this list and go, I want a friend like that. I, I need a friend like that. You have it in Jesus. But that is still not a cop-out to step back and say, um, I'm not going to be that for someone else. So here's what I want to do. You look at those 10 names that we just read through. The friend who comforts, the friend who's radically changed, the friend who suffers with you, all those kind of things we just walked through. I just want to give you guys some time, actually. To, I just, I'm going to ask, and not in a weird way, and I understand what this might do. This might make all of you do it. But if you're saying, I want a friend like that and or I want to be a friend to someone in that way, can I just uniquely pray over you and just ask that you'd stand? And we just want to pray over you. If you go through that list and you say, I want to be a friend who's like a brother. Or I need a friend who's like a brother. If you even have a need, or you're saying, I'm making myself available, why don't you just stand? Can I just uniquely pray over you guys? And just say, Lord, would you fulfill that? Here's the point of this, and not just to like, don't worry about even standing. Think about this list and kind of going, oh man, I'm a Mark who needs to reconcile. Oh man, I'm someone who needs to speak life and encouragement into someone else. And I want to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes. And that God would do that work in you and or provide that friend for you. So, Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, thank you for the fact that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. God, thank you that we have co-laborers, that we're not doing this alone. Lord, I just ask for everyone in this room right now, Jesus. Maybe they are standing because they are saying, I have a need for a friend like this. God, I ask that you would bring them a friend who can be this to them. God, bring them a Tychicus. God, bring them a Mark. God, bring them a Luke. I ask that, Lord, that you would just bring people into their lives. Lord, I, I'm also asking that you would turn us and produce us into people who are like this. God, we ask that you would give us faithfulness, Help us to be like these men. Help us to be like Nympha and be hospitable. Lord, do this in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for these, these people we probably never really spent much time thinking about, and yet, Jesus, you honor them forever by writing the, about them, showing us how we can be the body of Christ to each other. So, Lord, I just ask that you would produce within us um, this same spirit, Lord. Everyone standing, God, just fill them, bless them, give them eyes to see Jesus. Help them look for someone who might need that. Lord, help it not just be so narcissistic where it's like, I need this. Help us to be this, Lord. Help us to be this for someone else. So Jesus, we thank you. We look to you. We ask that you would be that. Ultimately, Jesus, you are the friend of sinners. You're the friend to us. We just say thank you, Lord. We just want to praise you now in your name, Jesus. Amen.